Attention men, are you wanting to break free from porn or other unwanted sexual behaviors, but finding it seemingly impossible to quit? If so, we can help. My name is Jonathan Darty, the founder of Gateway to Freedom. This three-day workshop is for any man who wants to overcome any kind of unwanted sexual behavior. So whether you're married, single, or divorced, this powerful and proven intensive weekend will help you uncover what is at the root of your struggle and discover the man God always created you to be. Space is limited, so call us today at 210-822-8201 to register. That's 210-822-8201 or visit bebroken.org slash gtf. Good day, listeners. Jonathan Darty here with another edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. We all have a story, and stories are one of the things we value greatly in our ministry. Why? Because it is through our stories that we connect and discover and learn. Today's guest is Neil Getzlow, and he has quite a story to tell. He was raised in a Jewish home, but eventually left his family tradition in preference of atheism. Along the way, he developed a porn and sex addiction, which made him miserable. Eventually, God chased him down and invited him to stop running and instead find rest and freedom in Christ. Neil shares his experience of needing to learn how to be alone as a kid, how he was introduced to porn, the effect of his parents' divorce, and how he came to believe that love and sex were basically the same thing. He also shares the radical way in which God broke him out of his secret addiction and led him to a place of truth, grace, and hope. To learn more about Neil and get his book Unmasked, visit neilgetzlow.com. For even more resources, visit bebroken.org or check out links in today's show notes. And please go rate and review the program after listening because this really does help others to find it. Pure Sex Radio is produced by Be Broken and we exist to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. Now let's dive into today's conversation with Neil. Well, all right, Neil Getzlow, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you so much. I feel incredibly blessed and honored to be part of the show today. Yeah, so Neil, you know, your um, your website says that you're Jewish by birth, you're an athe- you were an atheist by faith, and that you were the biggest sinner in the world, which, by the way, you have some good competition because the Apostle Paul said that. Uh, and yet you said that God was still waiting for you with open arms, transforming your life. And that's what I would like to for us to kick off with is just, can you share with us the story of Neil Getzlow? Yeah, absolutely. And it's still, in fact, I had to, before we started this, um, before I came on here today, I had to go back and, and reread my story, not because I don't know it, because it just feels like it's, I feel like I'm telling someone else's story now in a way. It's so crazy how all this has happened, but yeah, I, I grew up in a Jewish household in St. Louis, um, and uh, my, uh, you know, my my friends were Jewish. Um, it was just a very Jewish neighborhood, so that was my experience. But we had no relationship with God, right? It was it was very much a cultural thing or a ritual thing. We'd get together on holidays and and um, you know have the food and have the jokes, but but that was it. And uh, so my my parents got divorced when. I was uh, nine years old, and all my siblings were were older, and so um, that really was the first moment where I had to um, learn how to be alone. And so, um, and at the age of nine, I was first exposed to pornography, 
And that sort of led me on this journey over the course. It, it was, you know, once I got exposed to it, it, it let go, it just grabbed my heart and wouldn't let go for 40 years. And it, it literally took an act. It took three acts of God uh, in my mind to break me from it. Um, but, he, but he did. And I know we'll, we'll, we'll go back to, to kind of get into some of the details of, of how it happened. But, but yeah, I, I had a 40 year addiction to pornography that led to a sex addiction that, uh, I finally was able to break free from um, in the middle of the pandemic in April of 2020, uh, where I gave my life to Christ, and He He uh, rescued me from that life. And from that moment on, I've been free and clear of pornography, and have um, turned my marriage around. I've turned my life around, and that is all because through the power of Christ. There's no other reason. I, I can't explain it. Yeah. So from nine. From nine into your adult years, can you just kind of share what that experience was like for you? And realizing that there's all kinds of variables that are part of our growing up years, right? So yeah. can you talk about what the influence was of pornography through those really formative years? Yeah, absolutely. So I remember when when and when I first sort of uncovered my my addiction. Um, I did go to therapy to talk to someone, a faith-based counselor, and the very first question he asked me, which I really thought was a very profound question, was, what is the first thing you remember you had to learn how to do as a little kid? And for me, it was, I had to learn how to be alone. And so my parents got divorced. I moved into an apartment with my mom. My siblings had all moved out. So here I am alone. I first got ex exposed to porn behind my elementary school. There was a a wooded forest that we nicknamed the Playboy Forest because we'd ride our bikes there after school, and there'd these be ripped these ripped up pages of, of Playboy magazine. Again, I'm dating myself here, but it's magazines. It was my first exposure to porn, and um, that's that's where I first got exposed. Then when I moved into this apartment with my mom, again I was the typical latchkey kid of the early '80s. My mom then went to work, so I went to school, rode the bus alone, came home alone. There were really no other kids my age around. So um, I'd come home after school and on either side of my mom's bed, she had these two giant nightstands. And on either on, on both of these nightstands were these stacks of Playboy and Penthouse magazines. So as a 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old boy, I had this hole in my heart that I couldn't fill because I, I my parents got divorced. I just didn't feel the love this is my source of love, right? I know that sounds crazy, but that's how I, I didn't know God. I had a God shaped hole in my heart, but I, I didn't know I needed it filled at the time. So what I did was I, I filled myself up in those magazines and that's, that's where it started. That's where my brain started to re-knit itself to thinking love and sex were the same thing. And that I would, as I got older, I would search, seek out relationships that were primarily based on sex because I thought that's where I was, that's where love came from, was through the act of sex, not anything else that went along with it. And it would be just one relationship after another. And I, I treated women horribly. And uh, it just, um, it, that's just, you know, and also at the same time too, cable TV just, you know, comes on the scene. So now I'm getting HBO and Cinemax and Showtime beamed right into the, my mom's TV where I can watch movies. Now they're not, you know, they're the X-rated porn pornographic movies, but they show you enough Or again, it's just, I like to say that my, my culture was seduced at a very young age by sex 
and MTV and all that. And it just, that I, that's just what I thought women did, right? That, that's how, what I, how I viewed women for, for most of my adult life. I treated them as sex objects. Yeah. So and, you talk uh, about how yeah. in your childhood, you're, you're having to learn how to be alone. There's a lot of trauma that's happened in your life, right? In terms of a nine-year-old having to figure out how to process a divorce and the shift and the change in that, and then being introduced to pornography is another trauma that you've experienced. As you are trying to learn how to be alone as a, as a little boy and even an adolescent, um, what kind of fears did you have as a child kind of going through all of that? Because, and maybe I'm making an assumption here, but I, I do believe that all of us have some, have core fears that were established sure. in childhood that sometimes get masked by all kinds of other things that we attach to it. But can you think of any fears that you had growing up? Well, I mean, I, I had a fear. I mean, obviously I had to learn how to be alone, but I also had a fear of being alone. It's, which is kind of weird. Like I, I, I was alone a lot growing up, so I became used to it. So I relied on myself a lot and could entertain myself. But at the same time, I was yearning for relationships. And as I, you know, got older and saw other friends and, you know, dating and that kind of thing, I really had a fear that I, I wasn't going to have a relationship uh, that I could call my own. And so, again, that's how I, that's just sort of what drove me, you know, as I was meeting women at, you know, and, you know, teenagers and dating and stuff. Again, it was all just driven primarily through the lens of, through the lens of sex. So then you talk about growing up in this, you know, this Jewish atmosphere. So how did, what influence did that have in your life? I mean, I know you said it was kind of more of a, just kind of a, a, a religious environment, not necessarily like seeking to pursue God, but the fact that you were raised in that environment, what impact did that have on you with anything spiritual? I, I mean, I was, and I still am, like I'm a fiercely, um, fiercely loyal of the Jewish, you know, the Jewish faith and the Jewish religion. And it says I obviously started reading the Bible and, and got through the Old Testament to the New Testament. Imagine my surprise when it's all about Jews. Um, so, you know, I, I'm very, uh, you know, I had the, um, very sensitive to that. And, um, I think I, it was my, you know, it was part of my identity, right? Being Jewish was, was part of my identity. Uh, I would say, um, again, primarily a cultural identity, but it was, it was part of my identity and it, um, I think it shaped, you know, it shaped who I you know, who I was hanging out with and, and the friends that I had. And, um, but ultimately, you know, when it came to a spiritual sense, so again, I didn't have any relationship with God. My brother got bar mitzvahed. I did not. My sisters went to, you know, um, Sunday school and, and got some, you know, introduction to God there, but I never did. All my friends were going to temple and I never was. So I, I didn't have any, again, I just, I had no connection to God. I didn't really understand it. All I knew were kind of the high holidays around, you know, the Jewish new year and the day of atonement. But again, I just thought that was more just, Hey, those are the times we get together and have a good food and the family comes over. I had no, no concept of what they actually represented. Even as an adult, it took me, I still didn't really grasp what those 
those holidays meant until I started, you know, digging into what scripture said about them. Yeah. Now you talk about how pornography was really shaping kind of a, the filter through which you were seeing your world growing up. You said that that then affected multiple relationships that you then had. At what point during all of this, did you have any, or did you have any kind of feelings where you go, I, I don't know if this whole porn thing is good or right or working out or when did you, did you ever make any kind of connection like that during not just your adolescence, but even, even your young adulthood of engaging pornography? Yeah, I think, you know, and deep down we know, right? Because I, I do believe that, that God's moral code is, is imprinted on all of our hearts, whether we want to admit it or not, that's how we know right from wrong. And so I knew I knew from an early age that looking at porn was was bad. That's why I got the sense of shame and guilt um, that that goes along with with looking at it because I felt like I was doing something bad. Um, it didn't really it didn't really dawn on me, you know, growing up. But as I got older and, and had and had more more resources available, meaning I had access to, you know, I had access to the internet and I had access to money. Um, I could do, I could buy more things, uh, invest more time and energy and, and money into a pornography addiction. It, it, it starts to weigh on you, but it, but again, it becomes, it was just part of who, part of who I was. It was, mm-hmm. it was my drug of choice. And so whenever I would feel anxious or depressed or worried, stress, not loved, whatever it is, that's that was what I used to medicate myself. And it would be the shame cycle. And I'd, I'd think, well, nobody loves me or I'm depressed. Well, I'm going to go look at pornography to make myself feel better. Okay, I feel better. But then the shame kicks in. And then I think, well, this is why nobody loves me. This is why I'm alone. This is why I'm depressed. And then the cycle just goes on and on and on. And you can, it's just, I could never figure out a way to break it. That mm-hmm. was the thing. I knew I needed to break it, but I couldn't figure out how and why. And the high was, while the high may be plateauing, it was still a high. And while the low may have been going into deeper and deeper valleys, I could always get back out of it with another, you know, more pornography. So let me ask you, were you ever in relationship with somebody that that knew about your pornography? And if so, did anybody ever confront you or or ask you about it? No, that's the that's the amazing thing is that nobody ever knew. No friends, no family. Uh not by my my first wife never knew and uh my current wife didn't know until some very dramatic things happened to expose her to that, but I kept everything hidden behind the mask I was wearing. And I just, I kept that thing on tight and didn't let anybody in. And I didn't want anybody to know. And so literally nobody, nobody knew. I mean, we might talk occasionally about going to a strip club or, you know, um, pulling up videos on your phone. But again, it was, I, I never shared that fact with anybody. Mm -hmm. And nobody, nobody ever asked either. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk then about how the 
the hound of heaven, as they say, uh, you know, how, how did God ultimately, if I can put it this way, expose you and really yeah. bring you to an understanding, number one, of him, and then also what that meant for your addiction to pornography? Yeah, and, and really God, God forced me to take my mask off um, very, very directly. Uh, so again, 40 years of, of a pornography addiction leads me to harder and harder stuff. Eventually I'd start seeking out women online to have sex with and paying them uh, to do that. And so that led me to a hotel room in Chicago when I was on a business trip in February of 2020. And I'm not even sure why I, you know, set up this appointment. It, it was just, it, I just needed that 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 rush. And so went to this appointment. As I'm getting ready to leave, uh, the second bedroom door of the hotel room opens up and out walks this rather large man dressed in drag. And I notice he's holding his cell phone uh, in his left hand. And on that cell phone is my wife's contact information. And he's like, Neil, you're going to have to pay us more money or we're going to call your wife. And I've been in a lot of bad situations before, but never did I think I'd get to that point. And that was like the first time I'm thinking, all right, I have, I've crossed the line. I'm in some world of hurt here, but I managed to keep, I, I, you know, um, managed to transfer money as I'm walking to the door and about $900 later, I get out of the hotel room, but they're still yelling at me as I'm sprinting to the elevator. Hey, you're going to pay us more money or we're going to call your wife. Well, I get out of the hotel room and go on with my day. And, and that's the thing about this mask I was wearing. Nobody knew. I went about my day like nothing happened. Just typical normal day. Had great business meetings. Made it home to Kansas City. Uh, that night, Amy picked me up from the airport. She had no idea anything was wrong. Uh, I didn't, I mean, I didn't act any different. And these people obviously hadn't called her yet because she still picked me up. So I'm thinking, all right, they got what they wanted out of me. We're moving on. I can keep the mask on. Everything is great. And then a few days later, Sunday night at 9.30 p.m., March 1st, 2020, my cell phone starts blowing up as I'm working in my office, and it's this couple again. And uh, they are uh, texting me saying, you're going to pay us more money in 15 minutes or we're going to call Amy. And uh, I panicked, but I didn't know what, what to do other than just ignore it and hope they'd go away. <laughs> Maybe not the best idea. But um, after 15 minutes, sure enough, Amy's cell phone starts ringing upstairs and I could hear the muffles sound of the conversation and she comes running down the stairs and I could just, I can still hear those footsteps growing louder and louder. And she barges into my office and she's like, are you cheating on me? And, and of course I did what any good addict would do, which was I lied. I said, I've never done anything like this before, which was not true. Um, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get divorced. Uh, I'm so sorry. And really I was more sorry about getting caught than mm -hmm. I was actually sorry about the hurt and evil that I was bringing into my marriage. And so that, that moment set off a wild six week of a six weeks of, um, craziness because two weeks after that, then COVID hits and now suddenly both of our jobs are impacted and now we're sitting at home trying to deal with what has happened. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, about six weeks later, uh, my addiction starts to flare up again. 
um, while both of us are at home. I, I make an appointment to go meet someone in Kansas City that I had an arrangement with. I did it all on my laptop, sending text messages. But I, and I always make sure that I lock my computer before uh, before I leave because all my information's on there. And I knew if Amy got on here, my mask would be blown off. She would know everything. So I leave the house. Sure enough, not even five minutes later, uh, Amy's texting me screenshots from the messages I was sending this woman off my laptop. I swear I lack, I locked it. I always lock my stuff, but for whatever reason, my computer was unlocked. I'm going to credit God for this one. So I, I turn around, come home and I don't even remember what I told Amy, but she wasn't buying it. And she's like, if you want to save this marriage, you're going to have to ask God for help. And then we went to bed that night, woke up the next morning uh, Amy was gone. She went to go blow off steam and drive around. So as I'm laying in bed, I said, well, I guess this is as good a time as any to pray and ask for help. And and I said, God, I like I am in a corner. I don't know what else to do. My life is unraveling. I need help. If you are there, please just, just give me a sign that help is out there. And as soon as I finished that prayer, the garage door pops open and it's Amy. And And Amy truly is the key to this whole story. So she comes in upstairs and I told her I prayed and I really want to work on our marriage. And it was like the first time I'd ever truly meant it. And of course, she's really confused and she reluctantly agrees to go work on things. And then that afternoon, as we're sitting on the couch, she gets a message from some random dude. All it says is, do you know when Neil gets low? Well, at that point, I'm like, I don't know what God is up to, but I've got to confess everything to Amy. And I turned to her and I said, I just basically threw up all over the floor of our marriage, gave her everything, everything that I had been doing over the course of the last six, seven years of our marriage. And just like you do when you throw up in real life, like I felt like, oh my gosh, finally, for the first time in my entire life, I told someone these secrets and I feel so much better. And then I'm, but I'm looking at Amy, I'm like, but what's, what's about to come my way? And and what Amy did next changed our lives. Uh, she looked at me and she said, Neil, Jesus forgave me for my sins. How can I not forgive you for yours? I forgive you. And um, I still think about that moment. And it's it's hard not to be emotional about it because it was not only Amy talking to me, but that was Jesus telling me directly, I forgive you. And the moment that those words came out of her mouth, the chains of addiction were gone. Um, and I, I should I should point out that Amy got saved three months after we had gotten married. So um, she had been praying for me for eight years to get saved, not knowing any of this stuff was going on um, and, and dealing with how I was treating her because I was a terrible husband. I don't know how else to describe it, except I was mentally abusing her by going out and drinking and leaving her alone and just not treating her very well. But those words changed our life. And I can say our life today looks nothing like it used to look like um, in February of 2020. So what did that, what, what happened next then when, um, uh, when, when that moment occurred, because, you know, in some ways, metaphorically, you've still got vomit all over the floor of your marriage and there's still, absolutely, you know, there's, there's, it, it's not as if everything was worked out at that point. So what happened from that point for, for there to be 
you know, restoration, not only in, in your relationship with God and what does that look like for dealing with any kind of temptations that would come, but also, man, the restoration of, of trust in your marriage and, and all of that, because those, I believe there are things that can be instantaneous, such as forgiveness. I think there's other things that they, by virtue of just their definition, like faithfulness and patience and all that can't be instant. So what did that look like from that point forward? Yeah, that's a great point. And I would say like Amy's forgiveness was the key to it all because it unlocked the bitterness for her. Like that forgiveness was probably even more important for her than it was for me because it gave her an opportunity to to help to give us a chance to rebuild that trust. But what it did not do in any way, shape, or form was absolve me from any of the responsibility or accountability that I needed to take in my own life to not to demonstrate what kind of a repentant heart that I had. Because it was all just words at that point. There was no fruit being produced yet. And so she had to see it. Uh, and that's what, for the past two and a half years, that's what I've been doing is, is walking it out. And so, yeah, it starts with rebuilding trust. So, you know, I gave, at that point, I gave Amy access to my phone. I gave Amy access, ac- gave her access to my laptop. She has all the passwords. So at any moment, and she did, when this first happened, she was on my phone constantly looking at who I was texting and what I was, what I was looking at. But it got to a point though, where like, she'd reach for my phone and I'd get the, this automatic feeling of anxiety. And then I'd remember, oh, wait, there's nothing there to find anymore. So it's so freeing. Like here, you can have this phone, take it. But for her to have access to that was huge. We put a tracking app on our phone that we knew where each other were at all times. Again, it sounds very basic, but it it just helps. It helped grounded us in a little bit of trust, gave her a peace of mind knowing that I was exactly where I was telling her. We spent countless days and nights on our back porch just talking to each other. We bought like four or five boxes of these cards that like new couples would would buy that says, you know, talk about intimacy or talk about dreams or, you know, what's your favorite color? I mean, just all kinds of these cards. We went through five boxes of those and just started to learn about each other again. But what it did is just brought us together and tried to get us create more intimacy because I was a terrible communicator before. That was one of the things why I was such a bad communicator is because I had all these lies in my head that I was trying to keep straight. It took up all of my energy. When that mask was off and I didn't have to worry about that anymore, it made it so much easier to talk to Amy about everything. And so just having that conversation and talking to her is huge. Um, Obviously, started reading the Bible. Um, Read the Bible cover to cover in 2020 have done it again in 2021. We're almost through again in 2022, but building that relationship with God in prayer and reading scripture, prayer, prayer in our prayer life, we pray together. Like we've built a spiritual intimacy together that I think sometimes can be overlooked in couples. And that has just, that further cemented this, the road to healing for us. And, and again, you know, if, if, if Amy questions anything now, I, I just, I point back to the past two and a half years of our life together and say, like, it'd be one thing for me to fake it just to get out of any accountability after, you know, for 30 days, I could fake it pretty good, but two and a half years, you cannot, I can't, I cannot fake a relationship with Christ for two and a half years of going to church 
and, and reading the Bible and truly enjoying it and just filling myself up with God and, and cutting out all of the triggers that used to lead me to porn, which was cutting out Netflix, cutting out cable TV, uh, limiting the sports I watched. I truly had to, to, um, I had to cancel my own culture before culture canceled me. And, um, and that's exactly what I did. So let me ask you this for the person out there that's maybe either skeptical or maybe even frustrated by hearing your story uh, of this radical transformation what might you say to them about the the power that the gospel has to transform a life? Because I can imagine, and even, even in my own heart, looking at my own story, I'm like, gosh, I'm kind of envious of Neil's story because it feels like there was just a boom, you know, this kind of transformation. And that's not my story. And that's not a lot of guys' story. A lot of it's a long, arduous, painful, two steps forward, three steps back kind of a thing. And so what would you say to that person? Number one, in terms of just being able to um, be okay with your story as it is. But number two, helping them to understand that just what the power of the gospel means to our actual transformation and renewal. Yeah, and that's and that's so hard because I so Amy and I had a chance to share our testimony at our church a few weeks ago for the first time, and it was it was awesome. I can't tell you though how many men, and it has not been a small number, that have come up to me, have approached me over the and since that time to say that they've struggled with pornography, and it is it it is a hard roadmap to say because they say, "What did you do?" I was like, "I trusted Jesus." Like, and, and these people are, these, these are Christian men. So they already trust Jesus and they're still struggling with pornography. So it is, you know, I, I just, you know, I try to have empathy for those, for those men that are struggling there because I know it's not easy. And I just, you know, I, I point to, I point to David, right? Look at the one gaze that he did. What happened when he looked over the balcony and saw, you know, another woman, showering. It broke in a whole empire. And I just try to help men understand that, you know, God has called us, you know, to a higher level. And we just, we have to try the best we can. We're all going to fall short of his glory, no matter what it is. But we've got to try to live up to that level every single day and ask for his forgiveness when we don't. I will say for me, I was the most cynical, jaded, angry, bitter man for 50 years of my life. It is true when God says, I will put a new heart in you, take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. I got that. And I don't know how else, I don't know how else to explain how I could go from one state to the next, uh, in, in, a, in that, in just a blink of an eye. And but that's exactly what happened to me. And that's, that is the power of forgiveness. That is what Jesus did for us to break us free from those sins. Um, his, he, he paid the debt. And I think it's important. It's important for us to clarify and remember that um, uh, the gospel is not a different message to different people. It's the same gospel. It's we're told there's one Lord, there's one spirit, there's one baptism. The idea is because I think so, what some people are like is like, okay, what was the trick, Neil? 
Like, what was the formula? What yeah. was the, and it's kind of like, no, it's the same Jesus, you know? And so I think that's so important to get across. And I appreciate you sharing that because it's not going, that relationship is not always going to look exactly the same in everybody's journey of breaking free from addiction. But yet we still need to go to the same source. Christ alone is the one that can give us forgiveness and freedom. Um, and so I, any, as we kind of wrap up here, yeah. just any final words of encouragement and hope that you would want to give, especially to men out there who might be in their own struggle journey right now. And then where can people go to learn more about your book and uh, your website? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say for men out there, I'd say, well, number one, stop looking at pornography. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it Amen. seems like a given, but that is, that's the place to start because once you get that junk out of your mind, it changes everything. It changes, it changed how, um, how I looked at women. Most importantly, it changed how I looked at my wife. I mean, if you want to turbocharge your intimacy with your spouse, stop looking at porn, give that attention to your wife, and that will change a lot of dynamics for you. Um, but I would also just say, just no matter where you might be on your journey, it's never too late to, to take that step toward getting free. And you may be struggling with it. And you may think that there's no way out of it, but uh, just, just take that step back to God and ask God for help. Pour yourself into scripture, pour yourself into your relationship with God. Put so much energy into that relationship that there's no room for anything else for those distractions that are going to take you away from him. And when you can, when you do that, that's when, when Jesus can work, that's when the Holy spirit can move through you and break you from those, from those chains of addiction. And if you want to connect with me, please do. You can go to neilgetzlow.com, N-E-I-L-G-E-T-Z-L-O-W.com. You can, um, you can find my email on there. So please send me a message. I got some blogs up there. I have a podcast that I do every week called Unmasked and also wrote a book about my journey Unmasked um, that is called Unmasked. And uh, you can find it on the website as well. And um, yeah, I'd love to connect because I know that this is a pan, this is a epidemic uh, of men dealing with with sexual sin. And uh, I just know God's called me to be in this battlefield and help help carry others forward. Yeah. Well, we're going to be sure to put all that information uh, in our show notes uh, so that people can get access to your book and your website. But um, Neil, thank you for being uh, courageous to tell your story and to to uh, try to help build a bridge for others to come into the light. And uh, we're glad that you've been with us today. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, listeners, we're always glad that you're with us, and uh, we'd love for you to connect um, with us. If you're needing help for just kind of next steps on your journey, check out Neil's website and his book. Um, but we look forward to seeing you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio program. Have a great week. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.